0: Right, who here has ever seen somebody, a Christian, that they looked up to fall? Okay, quite a few hands, right? So maybe you, like Brian Houston, or maybe like me, you looked up to Hansi Grunier. Hansi Grunier was a previous cricket captain, a great leader, and very outspoken about his Christianity, strong Christian, and then we saw him fall as well. And we look at this, and we, you know, we get despondent, and we think, how can this happen? And we ask questions like, is it true? Surely not him. And how could this have happened? And we think that it's something that just happened overnight. But usually when there's a fall, it's because the person has already started to stumble, and they didn't just suddenly fall. And today, the the title of my message is, every fall starts with a stumble. And I just want to unpack for us, you know, how do we make, how do we almost notice that we're starting to stumble. What causes us to stumble? How do we stop stumbling? What do we do if we've stumbled? So let's, let's explore some of those things together. So the, the first question is, why do we stumble? And Jesus talks a bit about stumbling, especially in the book of John. So I'm going to ask um, Irena just to put up the first scripture for us. In John 11, and verses 9 to 10, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And the second scripture, which is John chapter 12, verses 35 to 36, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Let darkness, sorry, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And I thought this is a relevant topic um, not just because of load shedding but also we you know we're moving into summer now we're getting closer to the summer solstice so if you get up at five in the morning there's a bit of light now you know so you don't have to fumble around in the dark as much plus i think we with load shedding we're getting quite used to fumbling our way around in the darkness as well and maybe more relevant today because this area that we're in now has got an outage from six this morning till possibly for this afternoon, for maintenance. So we're getting to we're getting more and more darkness thrown at us by by Eskom. But um, so if you just picture yourself in the darkness. So I get up at um, not always, but at least twice a week. I get up at five in the morning, and so I can leave by five thirty to get to Monterey Gardens before the traffic. And at five o'clock in the morning, it can be quite dark, especially in winter and if in winter in load shedding when there's no street lights coming in as well so then you then you kind of like walking like this fumbling your way through the darkness trying to trying to not bump into the into the dining room table etc because we know it's dangerous to drive in the dark but it can be as dangerous walking through the lounge fortunately i don't have children with lego anymore but i remember those days walking through the lounge in the dark and finding the lego with your feet or stepping out of the kitchen door and finding that half-chewed dog bone as well. Those were, those were tough days. Yeah. So we, Now it's tough walking in the darkness. And we, we experience that in the physical, what it's like to walk in the darkness. Now danger it is driving in the darkness. So another experience I had recently was I sometimes fetch my colleague. He lives just ab- above the church here, yeah? above the school here. Yeah? And um, I was coming up Gordon Road the one morning about quarter past five, load shedding. So Gordon Road is pitch dark in the morning and I didn't see the stop street. I saw it at the last second, so I had to break. And now what's going through your mind is do I break hard and lose lose some discovery insurance points, or do I rather break the law and just keep my points? But I, you'll be glad to know I did break. So I break hard, lost a few points, but you don't see the stop street. So when you're driving in the dark, when you're traveling in the darkness, you don't see when you need to turn, when you need to brake, when there's suddenly something that, that comes at you as well. I mean, driving on the N2 in the dark, you know, there's people that run across the road in dark clothing. You just don't see them when, when there's darkness. So traveling in the dark, walking in the dark is, is dangerous. And something that God laid on my heart, because God talks to me, and I try and listen to him in the ordinary. Like when I'm driving on my own and I'm praying, it's a nice long trip through to Montague Garden, so it's an opportunity to try and hear God's voice. And um, the one morning my car was outside because somebody's bicycle is still in pieces. Oh, he's not here now. Someone's bicycle is still in pieces in my garage. So my car was outside and I had to leave with misty windows. So now if you've got a dark road and you've got misty windows, you know, luckily we've got windscreen wipers, but that even adds more to the or takes even more visibility away from you. So, if you've ever driven with dirty windows, or maybe you've had an eye infection, have you ever had that, where you've got an eye infection, and the light is so intense in your eyes, and you're trying to drive, or maybe you've been crying while you're driving, as Alan said earlier, it happens to us, you're listening to a fantastic worship song, or God's ministering to you, and you start crying on the R44, and you're trying to see where you're going. Also, gets very difficult to see where you're going if your lenses are dirty, or if so if you take the dark road and your dirty lenses, it's extremely dangerous to be traveling like that in the dark. In John chapter 16 and verse 1, Jesus again, this is now at the Last Supper. He says, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And the context of this is Jesus is speaking to the disciples at the Last Supper and he's telling them that the world is going to hate them. They first hated Jesus. You know, they offended by God. You sent Jesus, so you can expect the world to take them. So he he warns them that the world's going to come at them, the world's going to throw darkness at them, so you can almost expect to stumble. That's really part of the message I want to bring today, is the world is going to continually throw darkness at us, and there's so much potential for us to stumble, but it's how we react to that. It's knowing that there's potential to stumble. So, you know, stay out of the darkness. Um, Actually, I'm running ahead of my notes now, but... Stay out of the darkness, be in the light, and uh, try not to stumble when the world tries to make you stumble. So the second question is, how do we not walk in the darkness? And you walk in the light, right? So the opposite of darkness is light. So if we go back to John chapter 12, verse 35 to 36. So I'm going to pick up where I left off. I said, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. Remember, Jesus is talking in the context now of that he's going to be going. So he says, while you still have the light, meaning himself, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So Jesus is telling us to walk in the light, to seeking, and we've been hearing testimonies, we've been singing about it this morning as well, we need to be seeking Jesus, we need to be living in the light and staying out of the darkness. So what does that mean practically for us? What does it mean to be in the darkness? So the obvious stuff is, okay, I'm sinning or I've backslidden, but we've been hearing other examples as well this morning. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Now, maybe it's something simple as that, or maybe, as as Monica shared, you know, you've you've been saved in the 80s and you're still clinging to that and when we did this and when we did that and you've actually never brought that life with you into the millennium and you're still clinging to what you did then. So are you living in the light now or are you still a when we from the 80s? Psalm 119 and verse 105. I think we know this one well. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So Jesus is the light. So we want to stay out of the darkness, and Jesus is the light. So if we want to know where to find the light, we find that in Jesus. The Cambridge Dictionary defines darkness as the quality of being without light, or a situation in which there is little or no light. So it's largely saying that darkness is the absence of light. We often hear that definition. And don't you love that picture of when you've got a totally dark room and you just add, a, introduce a little bit of light, how it lights up such a big part of the room. And if it wasn't summer now, uh, we could do a nice illustration. If you come to this place in winter at midnight where there's no moon, it'll probably be nice and dark. and You can light a little candle here and it'll light up a big part of the room. And if I go again to my, my morning routine, when I get up at 5 and I stumble down the passage, and then I switch on, I don't switch on the bedroom light, I switch on the passage light. And that's enough. It's one little downlighter and it lights up from my bedroom right through to the kitchen. One little light. So, and it's amazing how much faster you can walk. Have you noticed that? So you, you walk carefully past the Lego and the dining room table. And once you've switched on the light, you can see exactly where you're going and you worm your way through quickly. But, also, don't get too used to the light of just the one downlighter. We need to really be living in bright light. We've got to be seeking the bright light. And I think now with ESCOM, again, as the example, is we get so used to just having these little light saving bulbs on and we get quite used to maybe preparing food with one little light above us. And isn't that how we are in our Christian walk? We backslide or we take a fence or there's no unity, that's something else that was said this morning, there's no unity, there's a fence, or there's unforgiveness, and the light starts to dim, and then we start getting used to that light. But again, in the natural, when you're you're sitting at your desk with this little bit of light, and somebody walks in, they go, wow, it's dark in here, because they've just stepped in from the bright lounge. And that's how it is with our Christian walk. We need to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters that come up to you and go, whoa, why is it so dark here? Where's the light that we used to see from you? Why are you looking so dark at the moment? And pull you back into the bright light. Adam spoke last week. He said, when you put God first, are you putting him first in time or first in importance? And what he was saying there is we can sometimes do our daily devotions in the morning and say, right, I'm putting God first in my life. I have my devotions from six to five six. But then that's it. Then you pack him in the cupboard and you go on with your normal day and your light dims throughout the day. So are we carrying God with us through the day? So is God first in importance or is he just first on our calendar and then he's done for the day and then we can carry on and and be ourselves, let's say. And I also had a picture when I was driving in the car that when you get into your car and you switch on the head, you reverse out, you switch on your headlights so you can see the road ahead of you, then you don't switch off your lights Say well, I can see the road now. So you switch off your lights and off you go, and you hope for the next 50 kilometres that you'll you would have seen the whole road. You keep your lights on the whole way so that you know where you are going along the way. And there was a picture that God gave me as well: This we must carry the light with us because we're going to hit dark spots. And again, if you go along the N2, there's certain spots that are dark, and it's really nice when you get to the parts where they're lit up, but there's parts that are dark. And if you don't have your lights on, you're not going to see the things that come at you. The person running across the road, the car on the side of the road, the cattle, whatever is on the side of the inn too. You know, there's all sorts of lotteries, Brian knows as well. And we're not going to see the dangers if we're not carrying the light with us. So are we carrying the light with us? Okay, so what do we do if we stumble? So I want to go to Psalm chapter 37 and verses twenty three to twenty four so this is david 's one of david 's psalms, and there 's four statements then i 'd like to unpack each of the four. so the first one is the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. Say with me, the steps of the godly are directed by the law. I learned that from our friends at four twelve from London. They <laughs> like doing that okay so God directs our step, which means that God actually ordains our steps. So if you look at the word directs in the original Hebrew, it was a very strong word. It was to establish something so that it has a strong foundation. So it actually means he determines our steps or he ordains our steps. So God is really ordaining our, our steps, if that makes sense. So that means in the everyday, in the good and the bad, in everything, God is involved and God is sovereign and God is Lord. But, does that mean that God's in our sin as well then? So if God is ordaining all our steps, it says the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, so he's directing all our steps, ordaining our steps, but we sin as well. So is God ordaining our sin? I'll let you think about that. Can God sin? No. Does does God tempt us to sin? No. So God allows sin, because God's given us free choice, hasn't he? So God's given us free choice, so he ordained, basically, that sin can exist, and he allows us to choose, and he allows us to stumble, but it's not God's will for us, and he he doesn't cause us to sin, he doesn't tempt us into that. But that's the mystery of God, and we sang one of the songs earlier as well, we spoke about the mystery of God, and that's part of the mystery of God, is that he loves us so much that he will let us stumble, that he will let us find our own way in certain respects, but he will never let us destroy ourselves. So how does sin exist independently of God and his eternal plan? So how does sin exist independently of God and his eternal plan? So we basically answered that already now, saying that it's almost, the, I think the nicest picture I've had was of the traffic rules. So we've got a minister of transport, and he sets all these rules. You must drive 60-year, 120-year, wear your seatbelt, indicate when you change lanes, etc. So if I break those rules, is it his fault? No. Can he... St- will he stop me from breaking the laws? Or you'll maybe try with the, with the police on the road, but there's not enough of them. So we've still got free will. We know the rules, but we've got free will, and then we get upset when things happen on the road. Sometimes it's our fault, because we broke, we broke a law and we hurt ourselves, but sometimes, because of the sinful world we live in, it could be the guy next to us that just changed lanes and he took us out. That's what's happening us to us as well in our Christian walk, isn't it? So, that God's put these laws in place, but He gives us free will as to whether we choose to follow or not. And sometimes we break the laws and we hurt ourselves, and sometimes other people around us also influence us through them um, breaking the law. So, we can remain confident and peaceful even when life itself seems to spin out of control. So, you know, often you get to that place where you think, oh, I just can't take it. There's just this and this and I'm sick and it's the boss and it's the, oh, and my car's broken and, but God is ultimately in control and we've got to always look to him and look to the support of the Christian family. All right. second point. He delights in every detail of their lives. Isn't that exciting that God's, God's excited in every single detail. So even when we're stumbling and we're trying to get up, God's cheering us on. God's there. He wants—he you know, almost wants to lean down and pick us up. So God is there cheering us on. He wants to be in every aspect of our lives. So picture parents of toddlers. So you go to a birthday party of one-year-olds. We've been to one recently, so it was quite nice to see the picture. And you've got all these little one-year-olds, like, stumbling along, and the parents are walking behind them. So the parents are not, like, Carrying them, the parents are letting them discover things. They're letting them learn to walk. They're letting them pick up things and eat sand or whatever they want to do to stumble and learn through, them, through themselves. Because it's, they say it's better for a child to fall a hundred times than never learn to walk. That child has to fall and learn to walk. So God is walking behind us as well, and he's, he's gonna see, He can see that we're going to fall. But He doesn't stop us, He doesn't intervene. He gives us the free, the free will and the choice. To do what we want and burn our fingers, but he's there as the loving father to pick us up. But he will stop us if we're going to really injure ourselves, like the parent will, will help the toddler. Charles Spurgeon, along those lines, says, As parents are pleased with the tottering footsteps of their babes, all that concerns a saint is interesting to his heavenly father. God loves to view the holy strivings of a soul pressing forward to the skies. So that's a very eloquent way of saying what I tried to say earlier. Okay, we also bring trouble on ourselves, right? So we make bad choices, we bring trouble on ourselves, we hurt ourselves, but we hurt others. So getting back to unity, unforgiveness. You know, we choose to do these things and we hurt people along the way. And the problem is when we do that is we don't turn fast enough back to God. So... I think the problem is we, we do something and we feel so bad and we think, oh, you, you just feel like God, you've drifted from God because you've offended God. And then you don't turn fast enough back. And the, the mistake, that's the mistake we make because we should turn straight away. As soon as you've done something wrong, you know, it could be thought or act or, or verbal, whatever you do wrong, turn back to God straight away. Don't let, because that gap just gets bigger and bigger. So you feel bad and then you think, oh, no, I can't go to community tonight because I just don't feel like it. And then you skip devotions the next day and, and the next day and you're worried because Sunday's coming and you're just building this void. And it's all from your side. It's not from God's, the loving father, he's waiting there to invite you back and you're just drifting off because you've got this shame on yourself. So picture the the father of the prodigal son. The prodigal son messed up and when he went back, the Father welcomed in him with open arms, put the ring on his finger, the, the robe, the fattened calf, and that's the God that we serve. He's not waiting there with a stick to punish us. He's waiting for us to return. And we have this fear that we've created. Um, this, you know, we should, Maybe shouldn't use the Bible for this illustration, but if we've sinned, we create this sort of barrier between ourselves and God that we then can't see God. On the cross, Jesus took all that on himself, which means we've got this open relationship with God. So Jesus took all that sin off us, because sin forms a partition. Any sin we do, it forms a partition between us and God. We feel bad, we feel shame, guilt, and like we can't, and we don't want to have our devotion because we feel so bad. Run back to God at that point. Okay, that making sense? Right, third sentence, though they stumble, they will not fall. So the key word there is though they stumble. So if you look through all the different translations of this text, some of them say when they stumble, but none of them say if, none say if they stumble because we know that we will stumble. We all do something, we all think bad thoughts, say bad things, do the wrong stuff, offend people, so it's when we stumble or though we stumble, it's never if we stumble. We know we're going to stumble. It's how then do we respond to that stumbling. So nothing, so one of the translations actually says when we fall, we will not be utterly destroyed. As opposed to this one that says when we stumble, we won't fall. Another one says when we fall, we will not be utterly destroyed. So meaning God will never sever himself totally from us. God is always there. It's, if there's a severing of the relationship, it's coming from us. God is always there as that father of the prodigal son wanting to receive us back. So he will never let us be utterly destroyed. He will always be welcoming us back. Okay, let's look at some of the, of the guys in the Bible. Um, you know, some of the real men of faith that we looked up to. So Peter, you'll remember um, Peter was bragging um about the fact that he would never betray jesus and peter was almost like jesus as two ic so he was really the man and he was making known that he was the man and then a few hours later he betrayed jesus three times Right? noah so noah i mean imagine what noah went through with building that oak he's got this massive oak parked in his driveway his neighbors are all over him i can't get my car in here your ox in the way there's never it's never gonna rain get this thing out of here He would have been through a lot of ridicule Noah. And he was obedient and steadfast through it. But then what did he do? He got drunk and exposed himself. So he also stumbled. Abraham traveled right across to a different land on God's instruction. Was very obedient in that. Got there and then lied about who Sarah was twice. Also stumbled. Moses. What did Moses do? He killed the Egyptian on the way out. Also, Stumbled And David, we talk about David quite a lot. David wrote a lot of these psalms, wrote this psalm. Ended up sleeping with Bathsheba, getting her husband killed. So all these great men stumbling as well. There's the three Joes as well, Job, Joseph, and Jonah. Look at them. So there, um, Job had everything taken away from him. But he actually was very steadfast, wasn't he? So look how God came through for him. Look at Joseph. Joseph went through really tough times, but he also was strong in the face of adversity. He went from prison, what was it, pit, from pit to prison to palace, I think it, I think is the, the analogy there. And then, and then Jonah, so you might get promoted through it, so through your struggles you might get promoted like Joseph, or you might get vomited out on the beach like Jonah. That's basically the bottom line of the story. <laughs> And just remember that today's victory may actually set you up for tomorrow's defeat. So we've got to be humble. None of us are beyond temptation. We must never think I'm arrived now. I'm okay. I've got my com around me. I'm solid. We've seen people stumble. We've seen people fall. And none of us are above that. So we must really always be humble. Always be accountable. And that's what I like about our leadership. Even Andrew, you think okay, he's at the top, so who's he accountable other than God? He's got the guys of 412, Jonathan, Brad. So if anything comes up in his life, he will speak to those guys. And that's often why we've seen some of these great church leaders fall, is they just don't have anybody that they're accountable to. So we must have that accountability. Satan roams the world like a mighty lion, looking for overconfident Christians to devour. It's not quite what the scripture says, but isn't that true? We get overconfident in ourselves and and the devil is just waiting like a roaring lion to devour us. Remember, Jesus knew that Peter would betray him. So, Jesus didn't intervene. Jesus knew that he would stumble. But Jesus was just there to restore him again after he did stumble. Okay, and then the last, last one, please, Irena. For the Lord holds them by the hand. So, again, picture the the parent of the toddler, that's how God is with us. He's holding us by the hand. And there I had two pictures. The one is, if you take your toddler to the playground, then you probably... Can I borrow you? Here's my toddler. Thank you, Emma. So, If, we, if I take Emma to the playground, I'm probably just going to let her hold my finger like this. And she can wander around, and, and she can eat sand. And but if I take Emma to London Station then I'm going to walk like this. You're coming with me. <laughs> Thank you. So isn't God like that with us as well? God gives us rope and he lets us wander around. But when times are tough, doesn't God also grab us by the hand and say, hey, we're going through a London station. You better stay close to me now. All right. Our salvation doesn't rest on our performance, but on God's unchanging character. Martin Luther said it takes three things to make a man of God. Meditation, prayer, and temptation. Funny combination, eh? Meditation and prayer, yes, we understand that. Why temptation? So that's, as we talk about, dying to self. Right? You've got to, when you go through the hard yards, that's really what builds your character as a Christian. If you're in a Christian bubble all the time, and um, the guys that go to TMT, um, which is the Josh Bible School, Timothy Ministry, they have a whole session for them before they leave, because they've been in a bubble, some of them two years, some of them three years, living in an environment where you're living with Christian brothers and sisters, you, you're speaking into one another's lives, you're praying for each other, you're going to church together, you're studying together, and suddenly you're going, you're going to leave, then you're going to go study at Bosch University or somewhere else, very different. Very different coming out of that Christian bubble because they haven't, during that time, they've almost been immune to a lot of these trials that get thrown at you. Trials and temptations because they, they sleep for in a room, so they're there, they're supporting each other all the time. So the message there from Martin Luther is it's those trials and temptations that actually build us up and build character. It's that daily dying to self, laying down what you want, um, conquering those fears, conquering those temptations. That's really what builds our character. So God is at work in our trials and in our fails in a way we never dreamed, never knew, and never saw at the time. So isn't that true that we, you know, we're faced with a difficult situation and we're praying about it, but while we're praying, we're making our own plans as well. I was part of a in a you know, one of the mainstream churches. I was part of the what did they call it at the time? Almost like it was wasn't their eldership, but it was their leadership team. I can't remember what they called it. But their um they were talking about building on. And the guy said, but we need to pray about this first. And they said, well, you know, while you guys are praying, can we continue with the plans in the meantime? And isn't that so worldly of us that we've said, so we've submitted it to God, but we've submitted it to God, but we're working on our own plans. Our plan B is on the go on the side here. So, so back to my example. So you've got this difficult situation and in your mind, so you've handed it over to God, but in your mind, there's maybe three options. So God can do this, this, or this. That's probably how he'll solve my problem. And then God comes in with us like, comes in from the side of the ruck here, totally what you don't expect. And he comes through for you in a way that you just could never have dreamt for yourself. And that's how God works. He's got these incredible, mysterious ways that he just operates beyond what we could ever comprehend. So when you give something to God, and it's something that I've had to learn over and over and over, <laughs> when you give something to God, give it to God. And don't give it to God, but you're still holding on to you, onto it yourself. Because nothing is wasted with God. I'm just going to close with um, Ray Pritchard, the way he sums up this um, passage that we've been looking at. He says, Your struggles are necessary. Fight on. Your Father has not forgotten you. Hang on. And your future is assured. Walk on. He says, If you are tired of your sin, run to the cross. If you want a new start in life, run to the cross. If you feel like a failure, run to the cross. If you feel the future, if you fear the future, run to the cross. If you need hope and encouragement, if you want to meet Jesus, run to the cross.